Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Palace Way podcast. I'm Alex, and it's technically a debut for you, Luke, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we should probably explain what happened with the last few episodes. We even said, oh, we'll put out a statement, we'll do all that, but we that never happened. So, I mean, I'll, I'll let you tell it, because, I mean, it was a fun story. We we did a brilliant podcast for Chelsea and United, and then, and then what happened to you in Turkey? Yeah, did that. It was near the last 10 minutes. My audio started going, so we had to stop. Then all of a sudden, Tucky's crashed and, you know, debut was gone. Deadline day move was delayed. So, you know, now I'm here, though. I'm enjoying it. Glad to be back on and hopefully this episode gets put out. <laughs> I will. I promise. I promise. I, I'm getting just just when we thought we were really getting into momentum like that happened. Um, We managed to recover incidentally, like most of it, but um, we couldn't get Tucky's back. So we had to scrap it, unfortunately. But um. It was a shame because we had so many good talking points and obviously it was great to have you on and to introduce you. But I think while we're on the topic of introductions, could you just tell a bit about what you do and how it relates to sport and maybe your relationship with Palace and, and how far that goes back and just a bit about your relationship yeah, to everything in general with football? Yeah, of course. Um, been a Palace fan for about 12 years now. Season together, about 10 of them, I think. Been around for a bit on Twitter. I work for Give Me Sport as well as a sports writer. So just wanted to get a bit more on other Palace podcasts and, you know, chat about the team I actually support, which is quite fun sometimes. Sometimes. I think that's a that's an interesting term. Um, I mean, it's I say that, but most of these podcasts are just us moaning. Right. And I think actually, even if the result wasn't great, I think there's loads of optimism from the United game that we had. And I think the window was was fairly solid. But we'll get we'll get into that in all due course. Um, obviously, great to have you here. And, and like you said, we actually met through. Um, not necessarily give me sport, but certainly through their parent company. You know, I used yeah. to do sport for a few years myself, and and that's how we kind of got to know each other through there. A sort of loose sense, you know. Oh, there's mm. a Palace fan somewhere out there, there, right? So <laughs> it's it's good. But um, I'll get straight into it. I mean, I think you know we'll do things chronologically and focus more on the window first because there was obviously a lot of a lot of consternation, a lot of anxiety from the fans. It didn't really look like for large portions of the window we were going to get any business done. But um, on deadline day, admittedly. Uh, we knew about the first one in Nauru Amada. I think I'm saying that right. I can never. I've I've tried for ages to get that right, and I love him, and I know disrespect to him, but there's 18 letters in his name, and 11 of them are vowels, and I've listened <laughs> to the videos, and I'm only still halfway there, but I love him. Um, yeah, he came in on deadline day from Stuttgart for a reported fee of about 10 million. We have uh, Albert Sambi Lakonga on loan from Arsenal, which also materialised later in the day. I mean, I'll just start with the, the most obvious question, and I think maybe. We can kind of grade it now and work backwards. I mean, how would you grade it out of 10 if I just had to ask you right on the spot for, for our window? Uh, I actually was thinking this myself the other day and I was thinking around five and a half to six out of 10, probably say. I'm happy we got the centre mid position. That was probably the one we needed. Happy we got two in. But there's obviously other issues as well. And with the Wilf injury, even though he's probably going to be back sooner rather than later, I still would have liked possibly an attacking option. But yeah, five and a half, six. Yeah, really similar here. I mean, if I'm speaking two languages or I get you a bilingual man and all that, um, you know, I'd probably go for the same about a six out of ten, like a B, B minus. Like it, it's so it's so hard to be annoyed with that window. I'll be honest. I think um obviously I think there was a bit more structure in the way we got Amada over the line. A Hamada? I'm gonna go Hamada because that's how I've been mostly <laughs> saying it. Um and obviously Sambi Lakonga as well was uh was a nice touch late in the day. I think we went from having a very depleted midfield that didn't really have a lot of uh, strong fits what we're trying to build to having a, a midfield with really solid options um you think about Decore, Lokonga and Ahamada they're all really similar players you know they've got plenty of energy defensively solid bus strong you know still fairly young but have plenty of top flight experience among them and um incidentally I mean Ahamada Ahamada I will get there we'll get there I should have I should have spent more time before this pot like I feel really bad now <laughs> Um, he he's broken out obviously in Stuttgart for half a season or so and looked pretty strong, but still a fairly new name. Whereas obviously Sambi Lakonga, um, the indications from the club was that that was someone we've been tracking for some time. So before we look at the wider context of the window, I think it's important just to look at that final day. I think it really kind of was a nice positive, frankly. We don't get to say that too often on this pod. So um, really good to get those two over the line. But I think if we look at them individually, what do you make of Ahamadur and his profile, and what do you think he could really offer to the team? Yeah, I was actually looking a bit into him and his career at Stuttgart at the moment, and it looks like he's 
as you say, like he can do a bit of defending and attacking. Obviously, I think primarily attacking is his best kind of position or box to box. But I was happy by it. I like this. We get players in who are a bit younger, grow them up, possibly sell them on for profit. We need to do it. So I'm very happy with it. And in his little cameo against United, I quite enjoyed him. So for me, very happy with the signing for sure. Uh, can't really complain too much as well. And if Vieira wants a midfielder, I'm always going to bat Vieira as he was a very good midfielder himself. <laughs> Plenty to learn eh, from the big man. Yeah, I mean, I obviously I, I have to echo that. I mean, I couldn't be more delighted with it. Um, I don't want to tread on the toes of United, but we saw shades of what we were hoping to get, really, which was that box-to-box energy, that kind of Gallagher mould that we've been missing. You know, offensively, in terms of actual goal output, I mean, it remains to be seen. He scored a few for Stuttgart in 26 appearances, but nothing that blow you out of the water. But still, I think we really lack someone with that profile. And I think to get something over the line for what is, let's be honest, quite a reasonable fee in today's market is pretty good. Um, still only 20 years old. I mean, I think I'm young. He's he's a couple years younger than me. Like, I mean, Jesus. You know, I think he's at that kind of Elise age bracket, let alone the gay Gallagher kind of age bracket that we used to have. So I think he'll very much have a big part to play. Um, on a three and a half year deal with the option of a further two, which I think is an interesting structure too, kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, really interested to see what he can bring to the club in, in, in the long term, but already very delighted with him. Seems happy to be here. I'm kind of baffled. I mean, I'm just thinking more from a deal standpoint here. You know, there was a line in The Athletic that indicated that there was an expectation that his value would rise in the summer and that maybe a Champions League or a Europa League club would come in for him. Stuttgart are in the middle of a relegation scrap. I mean, I'm, I'm quite <laughs> surprised that we got him as cheaply as we did. He didn't yeah, really sure. seem to have a contract running out either. What did you What did you make of that and the deal itself? Yeah, look, it seems like lately we have got bargains in. Um, so another bargain here looks really good for us. Will he live up to kind of the hype he's been getting from some of the journos out there who know a bit about him? I hope so, of course. But at the end of the day, 10 mil in this day and age, that's not really spending a lot. You're not going to lose too much out of that deal for someone that age. No matter if he doesn't do too great, you might get like a 5 mil for him at the end of the day if you don't think he's going to do well. But I have really good hopes for him. Really hope he can do well. Yeah, likewise. I think it's 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 one of those deals that at that price range, as you say, it's a very, very slim margin to actually to actually lose out on. So I have no reason to believe, like you say, that we'll we'll really lose a huge amount of money if it didn't work out. But I mean, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just I have to admit, I think if it if it was if we're looking at it from a business standpoint, I mean it has to be up there as as a as a really good deal. Um obviously Sambi Laconga as well was another big name to come in. Um, Palace, as I mentioned, have been following him since Zandalek days when he was a bit of a breakout star there. Um, very similar sort of profile to Ahamada and Decore, and they're, they're all kind of in this interesting category where I think they could almost complement each other. Um, one thing I wanted to think about tactically with the three of them is, I mean, we've obviously struggled to create chances for the long run. If we look at the wider transfer strategy, the, the, the noises coming out of the press was always you know, a midfielder, a right back, and probably a forward too. Um, I think as it happens, a lot of those will probably come in in the summer rather than rather than the winter, which I think is fairly, you know, we can only complain so much about that. We don't have a lot of time to do business in January. Um, but I, I, I kind of just theorised on, on Twitter that maybe this warrants a change of shape where we can accommodate all three of those midfielders or some sort of variation of that with maybe the likes of Hughes or Schlupp or Eze coming in. You know, it's just a way to kind of, Go back to what we had before, but maybe with a better profile of player. Do you think that arguably that made midfield the most important position to strengthen given our lack of creativity? Yeah, hands down. You look at the way we played before anyone came in, this two centre mids with one CDM behind just wasn't working with the calibre of players we had. Now you're looking at it, Vieira's looking more at a 4 2 3 1 with two more solid CDMs and a central attacking midfielder. Someone like Eze, if he's going to start. I don't want him on the left wing. I don't want him really tracking back as much as a winger has to do. So a formation like this with someone like Lekonga as well as Decore could be really good. Looking into like Lekonga's stats back at uh, back in Belgium, he was managing about one and a half tackles per 90, six ground jewels, one per 90, and 1.6 interceptions per 90. So you can literally see the type of player he is. He's definitely going to be someone who can be just in the middle there, stop attacks, maybe give Decore a bit more freedom as well yeah. to push forwards because Decore loves a run forwards. I wish he didn't love a shot forward as much because they have, apart from the Chelsea one, they normally go wide. <laughs> they normally go Rosette, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, 
it really looks like we can now do a formation that actually suits the players we have, this 4-2-3-1, and hopefully provide more goals from that formation. Yeah, I mean, originally when we signed two midfielders, I thought it almost seemed like a waste of energy to bring in extra reinforcements. But when you really think about it, when you look at the amount of, of alteration in terms of depth, it gives you so much more freedom. Even And you can't have one without the other. If we don't make both of those signings, you can't quite solidly say that we could try them all in that way. But I think from a, from a tactical standpoint, I think it gives us so many more options. Um, but that being said, I mean, do you, do you think we're going to really suffer for not signing a forward, for instance? Because my take's always been that the likes of Eduardo Matata haven't been getting service enough. I think we've seen on their day what they can do. I think there's no question about that. Um, Matata, incidentally, been a bit of a scapegoat lately for some big missed chances, but that's a, that's another conversation, right? Um, you know, I think we have to focus less on do we need another striker and more about do we, we need to get the best out of what we've got here. And I think this is one way to do that. But obviously, you know, there are also question marks over our strikers. So do you think it was you know, urgent that we get a kind of backup striker in. I mean, we're linked with Haji Wright, for instance, quite quite significantly through the midpoint of the window, which, yeah, caused a lot of uproar. So, I mean, Haji Wright and the forward situation, I suppose it's a two-in-one. Um, yeah. Do you think he was needed? Do you think the forward gen- area was needed to be strengthened generally? I mean, what did you make of that? I don't think he specifically was needed. I think that would have been a proper, we're worried, let's just get someone available by. Yeah. I'm never, ever going to want a player from the Turkish league after the Solov situation. <laughs> I know he's doing all right now, but that whole he was crap at us and banged in like 20 goals in Turkey made me suspect of that league in terms of quality for a finisher. But look, Edward, I think on his day, he's good. I think he's better with someone more attacking beside him. Mateta, I don't think he wins enough in the air. Obviously, that doesn't come down to his finishing. But neither of them at the end of the day get consistent game time and that could be an issue as to why we see them struggle so much obviously I think if we want to push on in the future top 10 we're going to need a striker who can hit double digits closer to 15 but for January it wasn't like my biggest issue my biggest issues were center mid and right back for me so yeah yeah definitely I mean I couldn't put it better myself I think it is almost an issue for another time you know, I still think we're like a lot of fans. I think, you know, maybe we have a bit of trumped up fan anxiety, which is quite common for a lot of fan bases. But I, I'm still looking over my shoulder a little bit about getting sucked into that battle. Particularly, when, I mean, we just had Jesse Marsh sacked this morning when we were recording this pod or afternoon, I think, depending on when the news broke. So, you know, we're obviously seeing teams making moves, not just in the market, but managerially. And um, there's talk about Nathan Jones and Southampton going, and they've obviously strengthened really well too. So, you know, the teams that are below us are making moves. We've just seen Everton. I mean, I'm just throwing them out there that they're all picking up a bit. And you've got to you've got to wonder about, you know, our own ambitions and whether we really see ourselves as under threat. The the reality is the chances are very slim. Let's be honest. I think if we're putting level heads on, I think, you know, we're only a couple of wins away from from picking things up again. And we are in the middle of an awful run. Um, form-wise, by the way, going into the United game, we'd only won one game in seven. We were 18th in the Premier League form table. You know, it, it wasn't looking good. And there was obviously a need to strengthen. But, you know, I, I really think here that the, the the solution here is a tactical one. It's it's a, it's a it's the short-term tweaks with the right players to necessitate that. And I really think we've done that. But, you know, right-back has to be addressed. It's needed to be addressed, first of all, since... Uh, since Juan Bissaka broke into the team, it nicely addressed it. Then we sold him, which is, again, fantastic. But it, mm. it was something that was never adequately addressed twice over. Um, so we still had to rely on Ward and Klein for, for some, some time. And, um, you know, it's obviously something that I'm going to worry about continually this season. And I think it's going to be an issue you won't shy away from. But I'm really optimistic. I don't know about you. I think I am optimistic that these midfielders can really make an impact. And I think just beyond their own attributes, there, there's a lot they can bring to the team. Um. One thing I was I wanted to pick your brains on was the long, long chase for Gallagher and to a lesser degree Aaron Wan-Bissaka because it seems like we're being linked time and time again with these players who worked once at a very specific time. And I mean, do you think it, it's... Uh, we obviously know they're good players. We know they can really add a lot of quality to the team. If we sign them tomorrow, they wouldn't be awful signings, but there's obviously a realism question. So what did you what did you think of the pursuit of of one or both of these players? I mean, would they have been good additions? But what do you think it says about our strategy? I mean, I'm... There's a lot to unpack, but I am curious. It Well, let's head back to the summer. We were going in desperately for Gallagher. Left it too late. Um, couldn't get the guy from Frankfurt. I've forgotten his name right now. Hubert So, Swiss That's international. It. 
yeah. That's it. So couldn't get him because great, we left it too late. Exactly. Yeah. Move. Gallagher didn't want to come. He wanted to play for Chelsea. Fair play. He's his boyhood club. He's had a good season at us the season before. Why wouldn't he give it a go? Flash forward again to January. We're still going for him. Unless we're being told that there's like a 50% chance he could come by deadline day. I don't understand why we're still holding on, especially when mm. we know Newcastle were linked. At the end of the day, this is nothing towards Gallagher. I really like him. I think he is more suited to our level. He would have been really good for us. But he's clearly shown on two occasions that he wants to play at a higher level. Even rejecting Everton on deadline day shows that he wants to play yeah. or the day before shows that he wants to try and push himself. And we're not showing that ambition that matches what he wants to push. So it's completely fair is what he wants to do. But we really, really, I, I don't want to see any more links to him anymore because he is good. But it's twice we've technically been rejected by him because we could have got him on loan probably in January. And Chelsea are asking for 45 mil. You're arguably, you could probably get two centre mids. Similar quality, possibly better for 40 mil. So yeah, 40 mil, that's yeah. my take definitely on it. Juan Bissaka, I kind of understood it. But then when it came to January, Delo was injured and that. So I do think we probably did move on quite quickly. I don't really, I think some of the links by the end of the deadline day still with him were more probably just clickbait. So, yeah. but I did understand it. But yeah, I just think Gallagher now, it's time to move on. Sadly, it's time to move on. But there's a world of options out there, especially in Europe. I think at least um, my one saving grace is that at least we actually did move on, even if we left it a bit too late. You know, we did actually identify a fairly affordable replacement, got him in. Um, and I know it was deadline day, but there was a few days to spare on that. And obviously, Sambi Lakonga was a nice thing that came up late. So, you know, I, I think it all worked out. Um, one Bissaka is an interesting one because obviously our kind of gripe is that whilst maybe, you know, he would obviously be in a, a defensive improvement, you know, and by improvement, I mean going exactly back to the problem we had before <laughs> where veteran wards out the team again, thinking, oh, yeah. God, this guy's this kid's back. Um, but that's not the point. I mean, he would have obviously improved us, but going forward, he wouldn't have helped address the creativity problem from fullback. And that is obviously something I think we need to do if we're going to really evolve with Vieira's system long term. You know, he's trying to play pet ball or at least a variation of it long term. Yeah. And I think you need attacking fullbacks with pace for that, of which Wan-Bissaka is sort of half of that sort of not. And I think he's reached a point in his development where it's kind of clear where his strengths are and where they're not going to be. Um, I wouldn't say he's been awful at United. He's definitely got better, by the way, and come into good form. And I I can't help but be happy for him, which is probably yeah, something I'm getting But, um, you know, even against us, he had a blinder. Gee, we could have won that in crazy seconds. Yeah. That, that was oh, mental. Right. I'm, it's a shame, honestly, this is where I'm thinking about that pod again, because we we talked about that in such detail. Know, yeah. We never actually got to publish it. And it pissed me off now. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. I digress. Um, Again, I, I think it was nice that we at least didn't dwell on it too much. Um, one big thing I wanted to talk about was a late move from for Antonio Langer. Um, from speaking of United, there you go. Uh, he came available late in the window, and the Daily Mail were reporting that we were a number of club, one of a number of clubs, sorry, that uh, went in for him big time. And it looked pretty likely at one point, but obviously, I think the logistics of it with such little time in the day meant that it was kind of never going to happen. So I think once everything was potentially wrapped up or agreed or talked about, I think it was pretty, there was a realization that it was going to be dead in the water, and I think. Uh, any more talks kind of stopped at that point. But what would you have made of that? I mean, obviously, he's uh, he's a young Swedish attacker. People know of him. He obviously made an impact at one point and um, obviously gives more competition for Elise and Ayu. I mean, what what did you make of that? That was a bit of a of a left field one, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I'm guessing a lot of it was down to the Wolf injury a bit. But at the yeah. end of the day, I think I was... A, I think on deadline day, I was kind of happy with whoever we got at the end. Of, like, yeah. you know, one of them ones... Alanga, I think it probably would have benefited both United and us if he came to us for a bit. Just, again, a bit more attacking squad depth. I don't think he's, like, great or the finished article or anything like that, but, you know, I would have just taken it with the Wilf injury in mind, for sure. And I'm not really sure what I use contributing now. I think lately, even defensively, he hasn't been covering as much. Yeah. So... I'm really not sure. And I know Alanga's more suited to the left, but, you know, with the, whatever we could have done, we probably could have whacked him on the right if needed. But, yeah, so I wouldn't mind it, but we move on, not the end of the world. If Wolf's back sooner rather than later, then he would have never really played, so. I mean, it's interesting you talk about the Wolf injury, actually, because 
you know, we obviously didn't strengthen in that department. And I suppose if if that was an area to strengthen it, it would have been uh, would have been ideal to have had something like a Langer in just to add more bodies or to add more options. So, you know, one of the things that we saw with the United game, and I, again, I don't want to tread on its toes, was, was Schlupp coming in in that left left mid yeah. role. Um, you know, do you think we have enough options of him and Eze? I mean, what do you think of Eze out on the left generally? Because his position has sort of changed over the years and been used interchangeably a different tactical setup. So, I mean, you know, obviously we know the individual talents of these players. Do you think they were good enough or do you think it was a glaring issue that we should have moved harder on? Uh, I think I did briefly say earlier about Eze, which I probably should have saved till now, but I do like him more in the number 10 role. I don't really want him to be tracking back. And to be honest, he doesn't track enough for a winger. So I know it kind of worked maybe in the Royal Hodgson era in a 4-4-2, but nowadays I think he just needs to be in that kind of number 10 role. Yep, Will's out now. So you're looking at what do you do with that attacking line? I don't think Vieira knows too much. It's harder in these bigger games as well. So you can clearly see he's going for the more defensive wingers in Schlupp and Ayu, moving Elise into that number 10 role uh, against United. But yeah, obviously it's slightly worrying, but I can't lie, even before his injury, Wilf wasn't banging in the goals, was he? He was doing other stuff, but we've just had a whole issue with the whole attacking line, Wilf included at the moment when it comes to creating and yeah. scoring. Just lastly on the window, I mean, it, like you say, I, I have a lot of opinions on Eze, but I think there's there's stuff to talk about in the United game, so I'll save it. Um, one thing that really stood out was the amount of strength thing that other teams did. So we've rated the window, we we like what we've done. I think there was obviously room for improvement, but we have to be realistic, right? I think that's a fair assessment, but I, I don't think many fans expected more than that. I think we were just grateful to get the job done that we did. And, you know, would, could we got a right back? Sure, maybe, but that's another question, right? Um. What did you think of the strengthening of other teams around us? Because I, I did hint at this briefly, but not just in terms of managerial movements, but we saw Southampton and Bournemouth making a number of signings. You know, Everton didn't, but then Sean Dyche is, well, he's working with half the Burnley squad that he had anyway, for God's sake. Yeah. And and he obviously pulled off an amazing win against Arsenal, a bit of a statement there. And, you know, we saw so many teams in the thick of it um, making really ambitious moves. Um, even just off the top of my head, Weston McKenney to Leeds yeah. was what caught a lot of eyes. He's a fantastic box-to-box. And I think... If you want someone that's a bit like Conor Gallagher, I mean, to take away the goals, if you want someone that has his profile, I, I don't think you get anyone more similar to his calibre than him. Um, yeah. You know, I think uh, there's a lot to be said for that too. And do you, do you think we've done enough to keep up with that pace? Or do you think others are compensating for less quality than we really have? You know, are we selling ourselves short as fans or are we genuinely in danger of being caught out here? I think, as a lot of Palace fans do say on Twitter, our squad is so like yin and yang. It's like there's so mm. much good quality, but then there's so much below Premier League quality that it is a bit annoying that we're not showing a bit more ambition. I think Leeds, you can see how much they spent when they're willing to sack their manager five days after the transfer window because they've spent that much that they feel like whoever comes in next should be able to deal with what he's got and keep them up. You know, that's how much spending around us we were kind of dealing with Bournemouth new owners they showed a lot of uh, good work there not sure if it'll pay off it might be too late for them as you say in Southampton but it really is for teams around us and we've done it before this is probably why we don't spend so much in January but they're huge risks all the players they bring in because they're obviously their targets but it's halfway for a season a lot of them aren't accustomed to the Premier League and that does take some getting used to and yeah, you've got to spend, I do think you've got to spend a bit more, especially if you're looking for a striker. Like a striker's a joke in this transfer market price-wise. So oh, it was yeah. a bit fearful seeing all of them do their business. I just hope that we can, you know, as long as we don't, we cut out some of our big mistakes, I think we've got a squad that'll keep us up. And you know what? That's fine for now. If we don't kind of show that ambition in January, because we've got a few players under contract again, We've got players aging again, who we don't think are good enough, but are still starting. If we don't show that kind of ambition in uh, in the summer, then that's when it's more of a worry. But yeah, I think seeing other teams around us splash the cash now is just going to be a normal thing we got to get used to. No, it's it's true. In in some ways, it's it shows a lot of composure that we waited for the right deals and we didn't do anything too crazy or or too ludicrous. You know, we didn't spend big, we didn't break any transfer records. We had to do that once upon a time, you know, when we signed Benteke. Was it Benteke? I'm trying to remember exactly what window that was. That wasn't what, January. in January. 
It was a January one. I thought uh, so. Sacco, I think, was January. Sacco, that's it. Yeah. Like, I knew there was someone from that that old guard. Yeah, Sacco was a great example of that. Where Luca we as well. The bed. Yeah, loads. We we had a really yeah. big window. I mean, that was when we bought Milivojevic and Van Arnholt. Yep. You know, we had a few windows like that. Um, and again, they paid off, and we just happened to. But you always have to feel that January is a seller's market, and that it's it's always skewed towards the clubs that have shut the bed. Now they're looking for someone <laughs> to clean up the sheets, right? Yeah, and yeah. they always get in the four or five lads that they think are going to do it, and it's not always gone gone the same way for every club. We just happen to have done it once or twice and managed to get away with it. But yeah, I'm interested, genuinely interested to see how these signings all gel. Um, really impressed with some of Bournemouth signings. You know, I think slowly when you had the likes of Sinazian as well, it's starting to look like a, a football manager dream team yeah. from like years ago. Like it's, it's <laughs> um, you know, there's some, there are some, some really genuinely impressive signings amongst the mix. And you have to help but feel that, you know, when they start to click, you know, it could be it could be potentially quite scary for teams like us who maybe have been a little bit comfortable. But I think, as always, the results will only really speak for themselves. We'll have to see. But um, as you say, I think we have to be careful not to get in that tunnel vision of underselling ourselves as fans and thinking, oh, it's all doom and gloom. We're all in the kind of little, what do you call it, the vacuum of it all. So it's really important that we're we're aware of that and i think when once we start to see the squad gelling and the two new signings bedding in we could get somewhere i just think that we need to be savvy in how we tweak and integrate them otherwise we are potentially getting sucked into it right um i want to move on to united game because obviously uh you know it came straight after the window there was a lot of talk about you know how the signings would fit in as it happens both in the match day squad and both made their palace debuts but um, there were still a lot of questions away from the window that needed answering in that game in, in terms of the actual performance on the pitch. Um, so I want to just jump into that. I mean, before the game, what were your expectations going into it? You know, we're in the middle of a tough run. Uh, as you as we say, we hadn't won game in, in about, well, it's now one in seven. It would have been one in six back then. I mean, what did you really make of our form and how we were riding the waves? My expectations for this game was is just like another one that we try and reduce the goal difference hope that we show a bit of fight and then move on to the next one. I actually think this season Old Trafford is one of the hardest games to play. Uh, they've beaten Spurs, I think. They've beaten Arsenal and they've beaten City there. So, you know, you go in there with this high momentum, this exciting side who's got the whole crowd behind them now. So it was never going to be an easy game. And yeah, I think it went how we kind of thought it went apart from the second half a bit. But I think Vieira likes to possibly show a bit too much fear at the start of these games against the bigger sides and it might have done us a bit wrong and it might have kind of screwed us over a little bit when we give away a penalty in like six minutes so it's just one of them ones but yeah we'll go more into it in a bit but yeah for me wasn't expected much no of course Um, I'm just having a look at the stats here they've won their last 13 home games in all competitions and that includes like you say some huge titans of the game in there so you know, it's a, it is a fortress. It's such a cliche, but they are they're absolutely loving the fact that Old Trafford is a fortress again. It's it's like a like going back to the glory days with them. So you know, I, again, I I don't you know I don't and only the I can't speak today. I don't like to think the lightning strikes twice. And uh, you know, I think we were lucky to come away with a point, frankly, against United. Even if we could have won it at the end at Selhurst, you know, there were so many good moments there and I think we played really well but ultimately you know we were under the cross for large portions of it and I think it was very much the same here um you mentioned the penalty I think that's obviously a huge flash point you know there were a few sort of half chances and little whips and they got cut out easily in those opening few minutes but um you know Marcus Rashford being in lightning hot form in the way that he is just absolutely skinned our right hand side um finds acres of space to kind of whip in towards the center and uh, it hits Will Hughes' hands. I mean, basic question, is it a penalty? <laughs> yeah, I think it's just crazy. It actually went to VAR in the first place. How's the reference yep. spot in it? But yeah, stupid penalty to give away. Not what you want to do in five, six minutes at Old Trafford, is it? No, very sloppy. Um, that Hughes decore pivot was obviously something that a lot of fans wanted even before we had these new signings coming in. And I think it was pretty good to see that um, on the team sheet. Uh, Schlupp, by the way, on the left in for Wilf was also quite interesting. But again, Schlupp will get a segment here for obvious reasons, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was very clumsy from Hughes. I mean, I kind of understand why he's kind of flinching and instinctively having his arm up like that. I mean, it, it makes total sense that it's above his head in the way that it is. But, you know, it's the laws of the game. Everyone knows that if it's in even a remotely unnatural position, particularly if it's up high, odds are you're going to concede a penalty. I don't think there's much debate or 
or uh, disagreement from Palace fans. You know, it was never something that was really talked about. I frankly don't think there's much to say on that. Um, yeah. Bruno Fernandes is a bit of a penalty specialist. Um, you know, I rate him as a player, to be honest. I think he's shown that um, as much as his goal output isn't as big without his penalties. I mean, he has obviously shown a bit more that he's not reliant on them. You know, he's a good player. He's he's a top, top player. And um, his technique is obviously fantastic and sent quite to the wrong way with ease. Um, a lot of fans, and I, I'm a bit more hesitant to throw throw the gauntlet at Guaita, not the gauntlet, throw the, the sort of the iron fist at Guaita here for this. But I don't think his uh, his technique was amazing, but he obviously didn't really seem to do much for that penalty. I mean, do you think he should have done better? It's a weird one because he kind of waited and then didn't wait long enough. It's like if you're going to wait, you've got to wait until the player takes the kick and then go the way they go and hopefully your reflexes are quick enough, if that makes any yeah. sense. No, it does. Um, it's like his mental process wasn't quite in tune with how you'd expect. Yeah, and look, it's one of them ones. I can't lie, it's a penalty. There's nothing's in the goalie's favour, is it, normally? So no, it's just you... the fact we saw it kind of roll in that maybe some of us are picking it out a bit more. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's always hard as a goalie and go uh, for a penalty, in it? Yeah, I, I always feel like there's this expectation that everyone has to turn into prime Tim Crew or something. Whenever yeah. there's a penalty, I mean, it, it is incredibly hard as a goalkeeper to consistently get those right. I mean, half of it is just chance and being able to dive quickly enough, you know, the agility. I think in this instance, you know, Bruno obviously had a strong technique. He just rolls it into the left pretty easily. Um, Guaita just kind of misreads it, but it's, it's, it's again, it's not really something you can be too hard on him for. Um, I don't think there's much more to be said for that. And luckily, the first half was pretty uneventful generally. You know, you look through the the timeline and it's just a lot of rumbling on, a lot of half chances Balls being whipped in. Um, good wing play from both teams, frankly. Um, Schlupp kind of has a, a really strong chance that gets saved in the bottom left by De Gea right, right before the break. And, uh, you know, it's other than that, it's a fairly tense game and it's it's quite hard to see Palace really getting anything from it. But as we move into the second half, Palace come up the block strong. A lot of energy. There's a lot of chances being created. Um, we start to see a few more shots and... Um, you sort of get towards the 60 minute and suddenly, you know, it, it's again, it's, it's prime Marcus Rashford at the moment doing what he does best. Talk me through that goal and exactly what happened and particularly about our defending for that because there was a lot of controversy there. You know, it was at the end of the day, there was some beautiful one-touch passing going on there. It is as very hard for a defence to try and track all the rungs going on. But then I thought when the ball came out to the far side to shore, it should have been pressed a bit quicker. That yeah, cross shouldn't be coming in. I think Rashford shouldn't be given that much space, six yards in the box. And at the end of the day, his shot's pretty much central down the goal. I know it's come at Gaeta quick, but I just think that last little bit, it was just a bit, oh my God, look, they've passed it around us. Switch off type vibes. You know, it happens. Like sometimes our right backs get yeah. called out. We, we don't believe in our own quality of right back. So, you know, I can forgive that mistake for one. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously poor defending. Let's not, let's not take away from that, but... That happens fine. Shaw gets a good cross in. It feels like our defenders were splitting the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It down. It was a, it was it was a shame because Gehi and Richards had a fairly quiet game. They didn't have an awful lot to do. They were fairly consistent. You know, Richards again, who who uh, is again a shame we didn't get to, to publish the last pod because mm-hmm. you know we were talking at Lance about how much of a revelation he was, and I want to reiterate that. You know, not only is he quick and agile, but he's defensively sound. His positioning is good. He's fairly strong. He obviously took United's wingers to task at Selhurst fantastically. You know, what a what a way on his full debut to, to announce himself, right? And then to then just sloppily kind of allow almost a part like the Red Sea for Rashford just to slot home. I mean, it, it's really poor from both of them. And it, it was really out of character for what what is a, another really strong pairing of defenders that we're quite lucky to have. Um, Guaita, incidentally, can't really, he, maybe he should have done better too. I mean, he kind of lets it roll through him. He doesn't really block it or close it down. That being said, he didn't have a lot of time. So I think, you know, yeah. the, our centre backs are really, really questionable there. Um, what did you, what were your thoughts on them? I mean, how did you really think about that? You know what? There's, I think at some points, like Gay is really good, but we do have to remember their age as well. There's a reason why Chelsea were happy for him to go. He is good, but he has to learn some things still. Mm. I think he's, definitely captain material for us i really do i just think there's some moments where he does look a little bit weak or might slip up and i just think it is a little bit of a mentality thing it's also a bit of an experience thing but yeah i do think both him and richards were to blame there and i i think it's just one of them ones where look it seems like we're gonna make one every now and then that little defensive lapse 
That's why we are where we are in the table for, for most reason. I know there's a lot more to it. But yeah, I think they could have definitely done better. But we've been saying that a lot this season, haven't we? For well, of course, every position. Yeah, I'm thinking about Chelsea as well at home against yeah. that Havertz goal. Again, didn't get to cover it. It's really annoying because yeah. we talked about this. But um, it, it's there is a pattern here, particularly against top teams, where we generally play... Maybe not 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 brilliantly, not like you know prime Real Madrid or anything silly, but we certainly play well enough to hold our own. Um, you know we're organised, we're fairly compact, which is what Vieira has been talking about a lot in his match conferences. And then there's always just one moment where it feels like we kind of slightly misread across, or people are kind of devolving responsibility a bit too much to one another rather than just putting themselves on the line a bit. And I think that is what the one big thing I think we've really lost since the Roy Hodgson era and that transition is that experience and discipline and i would never for a moment swap the two around i'm much happier as a fan i think we all are but i think there is a kind of naivety sometimes of how we defend at times just just where we switch off or maybe we lack the presence or or the the aerial gusto that that we're kind of used to or have been used to for the last few years so you know it is something that's a pattern i think there's been lots of progress made particularly on set piece defending i think that was obviously a massive frustration last season that's improved drastically um Certainly, when you look at the table of of uh, set piece like goals conceded, coincidentally, we're we're far from the bottom. I think we're like mid table compared to where we used to be, where we were rock bottom or there with Leicester. I think so. You know, there's been a lot of progress, but I think it, it's clearly a uh, kind of expose on what still needs to be done. So, you know, it was a real shame to concede a goal in that manner. But of course, then ten minutes later, the game kind of flips on its head, doesn't it? Talk me through exactly what happened there with Schlepp and Anthony and and how things go down towards the advertising hoardings there. I don't think I still know what happened, to be honest, because it was just such uh, handbags, isn't it? Crazy handbags. Schlupp takes Anthony out because he doesn't like his showboating, which I think is fair enough. I think Anthony's got to show that he can actually produce some goals and assists before he showboats. I don't mind a showboat, but I think with how poor Anthony's been for United this season, I think he needs to, you know, improve on other aspects first. Just quickly on him, even when he was at Sellers Park, he slowed down attacks by ball rolling and stuff like that. When United definitely had bigger chances, I think he needs to maybe get that out of his system a little bit and maybe look up for the pass a bit more. But, you know, he's tried it. Schlupp's taken him out. He's feigned on the floor, done that standard thing we see a lot where he's kind of crying and then he's heard Schlupp say something. So he wants to give a bit, bit of handbags back. And yeah. then just from then, it's about 15 players, isn't it? And... It was 4am outside of Prism Kingston. Like it was just <laughs> it was just it was unreal handbags. It was it was it was an amazing bitch fight. I mean, there were a lot of hands thrown in. You know, I mean the one good thing I'll say about United fans' reactions to that is they were right, at least in saying that there were a lot of hands generally being scrapped about. And you know, I think Casemiro was I don't get me wrong, I, I think the idea that it's not a red is nonsense. I saw a lot yeah. of that on social media. You know, can I can I shock you? If you strangle someone, yeah. you normally get sent off for that. But um, I, I was quite surprised to see that as a defence. But nonetheless, I think Casemiro is the worst of a bad bunch there. But you can clearly see on VAR, I mean, everyone can, that he's got his hands around Hughes' throat in the middle of that for no real reason. I, I mean, really, what is he... I really feel like somehow I've got a bad football opinion because the amount of people I've seen say it's not a red card is actually it's, it's baffling mark it's... goldbridge came out and the gay had tweeted about it i was like what bearing in mind casemiro should have got sent off against us a week and a half earlier but you know let's mm. not talk about that that's but, another story god yeah especially if you're a player like casemiro who people know likes a tackle or likes a bit of a scuffle you don't put your hands anywhere near someone's face let alone their neck i don't know what else you want the referee to do there it Yes, there's lots of handbags. I know lots of people saying about Ayu, but he gets pushed and is kind of flailing out. So I don't really see how that's the same as someone going. It's literally like Homer Simpson and Bart Simpson, wasn't it? Yeah, that, it was a strangle around the neck. I know he didn't maybe didn't put any pressure on it, and I think you could see immediately he regrets it. Yeah, which, just, could... which sums it up. That's sums true. It up. He doesn't choke him, does he? You are you are yeah. right there. I think that is one thing. It was a very soft touch, but it's never a good look. VAR is not doesn't give a damn about how hard you're choking someone for God's sake, you know. Yeah. What you do with your players on the pitch or or, or your misses, they're they're separate things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, like um, you know, that whether it's malicious or not, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. You can't ever even show violent conduct. You, yeah. You're never gonna get away with that. Um, I, I don't. I completely agree with you. I don't know why you know you're probably doubting your own opinion there because you know any any team any day that's a red. It's 
there's not really much debate to be had. I think the issue is more should other players have been sent off for that the stuff they were doing. I I, th- yeah. I think maybe you're going to get onto that. I think I just think there's a real big issue at the moment with these top six fans thinking there's an agenda against each of them. Mm. I just think people. I okay, that's a red card. But aside from that, I think people just need to start understanding that the referees in the Premier League. They're not even to a level to know the bias. They're just not a good enough level to do anything. <laughs> it's it's that's it's, also true, yeah. Every week it's ninety minutes of inconsistency. It's 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 really bad. So I can see why people fume at refs every week. But that's a red card, and at the end of the day, there is no agenda against any team. In my opinion, it is generally just these refs don't know when to give fouls and when to not. It's 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 abysmal. It is abysmal. I mean, there's also, I mean, just one thing to close on is that there's more leeway being given to these kind of handbags now. I think yeah. there's an acceptance that it happens and that as long as there's nothing too serious in it, it normally gets brushed off. You might get a yellow if someone gets a bit too, you know, shovey and pushy, but on the whole, yeah. it's, it's normally like, just get over yourselves and get on with the bloody game. That's the attitude now. They only intervened with VAR because they had to, because they mm. because Casemiro put himself in a position where, from a visual standpoint, let's forget intent or how hard he's actually yeah. strangling them. He puts himself visually in a position where he's not going to get away with it. Sure. I think, you know, we're obviously biased here. We, we, you know, we're not debating with each other, but I don't really think rationally there's a way you can justify it. And that's, that's my, that's my big gripe here with the reaction to it all. Yeah. And- I think if, if it's your team, if it's a Palace player doing that, I fully accept that he's going to get yeah. sent off. So no, no, exactly. If Wilfred Zaha did that to someone, you know, yeah. I'd be annoyed that he's been sent off, but I'd be annoyed at him for putting himself in that position you know, maybe I'd argue, oh, okay, he wasn't doing it that hard, but you, I wouldn't, you know, ever say he didn't deserve a red for it. You know, you're never gonna, you know, get away with that. Um, it's obviously a huge talking point, and then, you know, later on, we obviously see, um, perhaps a, a an example of the numerical advantage coming to into effect here. But could you take us through, um, the Schlup goal? I mean, by the way, we'd obviously had uh, Hamadur and uh, Lakonga on at this point as well, making their, their debut for Palace, which was great to see. And they instantly made an impact with fantastic energy, great runs. Hamada gets a good cross off late on. I mean, but let's let's look at Schlup and, and Decore's build up for that. I mean, it's a bit of a bit of a cheeky little flick on, isn't it? It's a hell of a goal, but talk us through the, the build up play to that. Well, they're just playing really nicely together there. And I think Schlup had actually a really good game at left mid. I think generally, yeah. You know he's had a good game when uh Matt Wussman or Ma- Matt Wussnam is mm. doing a whole article for the Athletic on it. I think that showed how good a game he had compared to the rest of this season. And another thing for Vieira to take in mind, maybe he should be using Schlupp as a winger. Imagine my shock. But you know, mm. really good play, really good finish, a bit of the Schlupp of old there that we saw over the past seasons. I think we've been missing a lot this season, Schlupp pushing forward when he has the ball. Yeah. We've got a lot of groans at Sellers where Schlupp's had the ball in space, turns behind him, passes it back. But, you know, finally we saw a bit of the Schlupp of old there and can't take anything away from the players for that goal. He's a fairly decent natural finisher. And and like you say, the, we haven't seen him in that left mid role for a long, long time. I mean, he's been a central midfielder and occasionally a left left back. But under Vieira, he's almost always been a midfielder. He's almost always, say for his first few games under him, where I think he actually did do quite well, he, he's always seemed to struggle to progress play. He gives away the ball a stupid amount of times. He still did it up to a point, but not nearly to the same extent. And when the onus on his role is to progress play more and to actually create chances and to kind of invert, get into the box a bit more, you start to see someone coming into his own, don't you? And and as you say, I think he was he was our man of the match. I mean, not just for the goal, but I think his overall play was a vast improvement. Um. You know, I think he really put himself back into the thinking as a, as a kind of Wilf deputy while he's out injured. Um, you know, it was it was a little cheeky little goal from him, and to hit it on the outside of the boot in the way that he did was yeah. nice. Good to see Decore assist. He's starting to get a couple more this season. I think that's his third. I mean, it's nice to see him getting on those stats as well. We know how good he is defensively, and and he feels incredibly complete. But I think those offensive numbers are nice too. I hope with the new signings as well in midfield that we'll be able to see Decore kind of advancing more and having the freedom to to do that without all the defensive responsibility in front of the, the back line being on him. So, yeah, it was a nice interaction and obviously a bit of a collector's item. You know, as it happens, it wasn't enough to really win the game. But, yeah. I mean, what did you think of the end of the game and the close of play and the kind of wrap-up? We saw we saw Elise making chances. We saw Hamada getting involved on the right, you know. How did that really go down for you? 
I think this comes back to really your point earlier where you say it's not just on our strikers. We need to be creating more. I think mm. these moments, we don't see enough at the moment from Elise or Eze. We have seen it in the past, but we don't see it on a consistent level. United, to be fair to them, they played the game out perfectly like Man United would, like you expect they should. Mm. And like they have been doing a lot under Ten Hag. I think Ten Hag's been a revelation for them. I think that's why we're seeing players like Wan-Bissaka do really well because players like that need a good coach, not just a manager. And I think Ten Hag's brought that to them. That's why we're seeing so much improvement. But, you know, little chances here and there wasn't really much. We did wish we did a bit more to, like, create some final last-minute one. I know there was that Mateta chance. I can't remember what minute that was in. But um, oh, it was really good, good point. I don't remember the time either, but, it, yeah. you know, it was... Benteke buries that. I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not the first person to say that. Benteke yeah. buries that sort of chance, you know. It, it's, I'm not going to scapegoat Mateta, but he's six foot four for for what? Like, yeah. It's a shame. I, I still rate him. I still think he's got a big part to play in this squad. I'm not so anti Mateta as some people seem to be. He's just not had his luck lately. And, you know, on we know what he's capable of. We need, we need that presence too. But that's another story. Um. No, no, as you rightly say, I mean, Ten Hag has, has got them playing brilliantly. I'm quite happy for what it's at a personal level it's working out because I always rate him as a, as a coach, even at Ajax. Mm. And I was quite excited by the appointment, so much so that all my, like, I work for a Swedish company, like my boss is Swedish. I have a lot of colleagues abroad that are Swedish and uh, all United fans and so on. So there's always a lot of like United talk now and again. And yeah. I, I kept saying, like, I kept backing it. I was like, you're going to love him. He's going to do wonders. And then he lost his first two games to Brighton and Brentford. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. <laughs> I'm never going to hear the end of this. So I had half of Scandinavia. I had the guy next to me at work. All just all just bounced for me. And it's nice that it's working out because, you know, I thought it's worth it's good. But um, that aside, like, you know, loving aside, and like, ugh, I hate that I've even been that positive, frankly, about another <laughs> team. Um, you know, like you say, they managed the game perfectly. I think Rashford was brilliant at hugging it in the corner. You know, there was so much amazing shithousery and, and game management from them that I felt yeah. was uh yeah it was really strong so we were unlucky not to, not to get something from that game I, I felt we really picked up and, and certainly made the best of the numerical uh, advantage we had um I wouldn't say the creativity issues have gone away would you they're still very much there right no but I think part of it is a bit down to Vieira showing a bit too much fear early on in these games like why didn't we come out like we did in the second half Type yeah. vibes. I do understand it is Old Trafford. I do understand that is Man United, but I think we've really got to give our players a bit more—I don't know the word—a bit more praise, a bit more acknowledgement that there there are a bunch of very good Premier League players out there. At the end of the day, a lot of our fan base think Elise is going to make a move up in the few years. Same with Eze. You know what I mean? Edouard was scoring at a very good level in Europe, so you know. We do have these players and I think sometimes let's just not sit back as much as we do because at the moment we don't have the defence, especially in fullback, right back to kind of soak up that type of pressure. So, yeah. When you look at the game and the window together in these two segments as we've been doing on this pod, I think you, what you have here is like the ingredients for a team that can play with more freedom from a, from a tactical standpoint, from a personnel standpoint. You know, we've got we've got it there and I, I just want to see the handbrake let down a bit more. We had two phases, and we do this in a lot of games. We have two, like two or three phases of distinct attacking play for five or ten minutes. Some sometimes we get a goal, most of the time we don't. But you you see us playing with bravery, and that's what I miss. You know, the team at least feels like it's got its cojones back. But if I feel like we're missing uh, the kind of the flair and inventiveness that we saw particularly last season, but um, importance of this season too, early doors. And yeah, I really just hope we can recover that and. So much so because we've obviously got the big one coming up. Now, we don't really preview games on this pod. Yeah. It's not something we do. We try to steer away from it. But um, without going into too much detail, obviously, Brighton is at home next. It's, it's it's the one that people mark on their calendars. They count down to it. It's It puts the fear of God into me, frankly. Um, I'm, I'm going to be at the victory from about 12. So if you bump into me, tell me I'm a knob. Um, <laughs> that goes for you, for all the listeners. Um, <laughs> You know, I it, it's I'm glad to be back at Selhurst for what it's worth. On a, on a little side note, it's been ages since I, since I was last there. I think the last one was Wolves when we won at home. Five um, minutes, mate. Your your opinion will change. Don't worry. No, nah, yeah. don't worry. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I can't believe. Right, we're going to have to watch ninety minutes and then unpack it on the pod as well. Of like Nathaniel Klein versus Matoma. Matoma, yeah, the most informed player. <laughs> like Chris. Well, 
you know, we've had Rashford and now we've got Matoma. Like, I mean, give Klein a break. We've got two yeah. of the most informal left wingers in the league just skinning him for days. Like, I'm I'm shitting it. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm really not looking forward to it. Um, it's gonna be such a double-edged sword, you know. Great to be back with the whole culture back in the area, but I'm I'm absolutely not looking forward to getting rinsed. So I hope we'll do what we normally do. We we kind of talk ourselves down and then full time we're talking about a one-one draw, which seems to be the pattern from the last few years. Obviously, Deserby coming back into it. I mean, I don't want to look at it too much, but obviously, how are you feeling about the Brighton game? Do you think we've got a chance? Are you really thinking we're going to get done here? I mean, it's hard. I don't remember the last time I thought we'd have a chance, but we've picked up results and Brighton fans have been very cocky over the last few seasons against us, which is understandable and completely fair, but we still managed to grind out these results. The one big thing is going to be who's going to be that player to tell them how much this game means to the fans. A few of them obviously know that, but if we don't have Wilf, Ward probably won't be playing, you know. It's a shame. I think Ward actually normally has good games against Brighton. I think he, he's yeah. a better fit in some ways. You know, he's not offensively as good, but we're going to we're gonna need someone that's a bit more solid and compact and can defend a bit better one-on-one, you know, and he's still not great. But I, I kind of want Ward in, actually, but that's another story. Like you say, um, it, it's going to be so interesting to see how we approach this game from a, from a mentality standpoint. And... You know, I think we're going to maybe our our new signings or a potential lack of experience might cost us a bit at times. You know, we're missing a few key players, too. Let's not forget. Anderson is still out. Um, We're quite lucky that Richards has given a good account of himself. But there's a a lot of what ifs here. And I think it's uh, it's, going to be one that'll be fun to be seeing. But coincidentally, we haven't lost to Brighton in almost 1500 days. I've now (laughs) jinxed it massively. Fuck. Uh, But we'll get there. Um. I think the main thing is we'll get that together. Isn't that a nice note to end on? Um, <laughs> we'll get that together, probably crying and sobbing at the time uh, the final whistle goes. But regardless, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, it's been great to have you on, Luke, as well. How are, how yep, are you cheers. finding it so far? Yeah, all good. Lovely episode. It's going to be interesting on Saturday for sure. Yeah, But, you I'm know, not... we can never do it together. easy. Yeah. Nah, exactly. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be one of them ones. Like. Yeah. You know, I think I think regardless of the result, that I can I can see it being a memorable game, probably for all the wrong reasons. But I think there'll be a plenty <laughs> to talk about as always. So, looking forward to unpacking that one with you, ish, not because of you, and very much because of Palace. But uh, yeah, as always, thank you very much for everyone for your support and listening. Um, if you like what you're hearing, we obviously appreciate all your feedback. So please leave your reviews in. If you want to give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, that would be fantastic. Really helps us out. Helps the algorithm. Helps us find more Palace fans that like content like this. Um, we will very much be back in the next one and I trust Luke you'll be joining us for that then yep don't worry I'll be Mr Consistent for a little bit definitely I love it so no, no, don't want to stop talking about it <laughs> oh we need some of that but if obviously if the, if the game's shite and you, you really just don't want to <laughs> think about it then please let us know so I can I can put it out there don't worry um, about too that, many shite games don't worry <laughs> don't you worry man we'll, we'll, we'll make it and uh, I once again like to reiterate fans we're all going to make this together it's going to be a hell of a season, but we'll get there. We'll get there, and I'm confident we'll remain in the league and we won't get too spanked by Brighton. But, you know, again, I've probably just done a double jinx there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, if you could help us out in any way possible, please do leave your reviews. Um, your support really means the world for us. We're really happy to be growing and doing this. And as always, we will see you in the next one. It's bye from me. And Luke, do you want to say goodbye? I'll see you later, guys. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>